Well, thank you for joining me once again. I'm your host, Randy Duncan, and we are making our way through the book of Genesis. In this session, we'll be covering creation day six, which will see the appearance of land mammals and then the pinnacle of all creation, humanity. But first, a quick recap of what we covered in the last session, which was creation day five. And in creation day five, we saw the appearance of the sea creatures and the birds. Um, we discussed the Cambrian explosion and how that is a major problem for the macroevolutionary paradigm that we've all been taught. We mentioned that even Charles Darwin, back in his day, was aware of this, but he dismissed it because he believed that the transitional fossils would be found at some point. But we talked about that they had not been found, even after 160 years of digging everywhere on planet Earth. We also mentioned how the origin of life researchers and scientists have no idea how life began and are no closer now than they were 60 years ago in figuring it out. And that brings us to creation day six, which will close out uh, chapter one here. And I'm going to begin with verses 24 and 25. And they read, And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Now this phrase, after their kind, that, that word kind, what, what, what exactly does that mean? Does that mean that God created every species that we see on planet earth today? Meaning, if we're talking about dogs, for example, that God made a German Shepherd, and a Doberman, and a Husky, and a Lab, and a Poodle, etc., etc. Or, when we look at the division of the animal kingdom and the classifications, is this, quote, kind referring to something different? Maybe a family or a class, a phylum, an order, a genus. You know, what, what's going on with that? Well, the Hebrew word used for kind here is the Hebrew word mean, spelled M-I-N, but it, it rhymes with green. It's, it's mean. And it comes from a, another root word that means to portion out or a sort. Sometimes you'll see it translated as species. Well, when you take a closer look at it, it makes sense that kind here is referring to something more specific than just the, quote, class of animals or even an order or a suborder. Kind here is probably referring more to the family or genus of the animals, potentially even the species level but probably not all of the species that we see on planet Earth today, like I said. So, for example, for those who believe it is not referring to the species level, if we consider the dog kind, we're probably not talking about God creating every species of a dog breed. So, God here is not creating, like I said, a poodle and a German shepherd and a lab and a husky and so on. So, some commentators believe God here is creating a dog kind that is more along the lines of, say, a wolf. And then from that point, wolves have evolved based on their environment, genetic variability, natural selection, as well as human breeding to create all of the many species of dogs that we see today. I mean, and let's just, let's just be real here. Do you really think that God would have created a poodle or a wiener dog, believing that they would survive in the wild for more than a few minutes? Of course not. So when we read that God created these animals to reproduce after their kind, it's not speaking about every species on the earth, I don't think. And at what level God created, we're not exactly sure. But 
God created these animals with an amazing ability and with the information coded in their DNA to adapt to their environment. And when it says that God created the livestock and the beasts of the earth, probably what is in mind there is, or that differentiation, probably what's in mind is simply domesticated versus wild animals. So most likely it's differentiating between livestock, such as cattle, goats, and sheep, etc., and then the, quote, wild animals, such as bears and lions, tigers, monkeys, oh my. But now we come to the pinnacle of God's creation, humans. So let's take verses 26 and 27 here. And verse 26 begins, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. Wow. I mean, where to start on these two verses? I mean, the reality is that these two verses could spark an entire semester-long course in, in a variety of studies like anthropology, evolutionary biology, philosophy, theology, chemistry, you name it. So to think that I, or, or anyone for that matter, can cover everything that we'd like to cover and talk about in just a few short minutes here, it just it simply isn't realistic. And I'll most likely end up devoting a short video to these two verses just in order to try to do them justice. But just a few comments for two verses that absolutely deserve so much more attention than I'm going to give them here. The phrase, let us make man in our image, who exactly is us? It says, let us make man. Who's us? I mean, I thought this was God creating. I mean, who else is with God? Again, as we mentioned in the first session, I believe, here is another hint at the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the three in one. Scripture teaches that all three played a part in creation. Remember, in the beginning, God created that word for God that is used there is Elohim. And Elohim is a plural form for a singular God. That was our first hint. This is our second not-so-subtle hint. Notice also that all of the previous creation acts begin with let there be or let the land produce or let the waters bring forth. It was a command, just a word. But now this act of creation appears to be a bit more personal. It begins with let us make, not the land, not the water, not the, the land producing, let us make. It is now making clear that this creation is something different, something special. In the interest of time and wanting to actually make progress through our study, I'm going to forego going down the rabbit hole on the, the origin of life debate or the Darwinian evolutionary discussion or even a discussion on whether theistic evolution is viable. Again, there's just no way to unravel all that in a short study and make progress through the book. This has been a topic of debate for you know the last 200 years, and so 200 years plus one podcast episode isn't going to settle it. Needless to say, I'll address all of that in a video specific to that very question and that topic. But it says, let us make man in the image of God. What do we mean when we say we're made in the image of God, or, or the Latin phrase there that you may be familiar with, the Imago Dei? Well, here again, volumes have been written about what is meant by the image of God and the likeness of God. 
But first thing, I mean, it's, it sets humanity apart from the rest of creation. Human beings are unique. We are special. The Bible teaches us that of all of God's creatures, only humans were created in the image of God. Scripture here is conveying the idea of us being similar to or representative of something else, but not identical to it. And although there have been many theological positions over the centuries regarding exactly what this image of God means, we can agree on some basics, such as, you know, human beings are spiritual beings. We are personal. We're self-conscious. We're rational. We have free will. We are immortal. And I'll say that one again. We are immortal. I'm reminded of a quote from C.S. Lewis who said, and, and quote here, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal, end quote. And that's important to understand. And I agree with Lewis on that. You are immortal. Your body is not, but the real you is. And you're going to spend that eternity either with God or separated from God. And being separated from God is a place called hell, where Jesus said that there would be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Most people don't realize just how much Jesus actually spoke about hell. So we are all created in the image of God, and as a result, we all have inherent worth and value. And it doesn't matter if you're male or female. It doesn't matter if you're black, white, Hispanic, Indian, Asian. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor, young or old. You were made in the image of God. And any wrong or any injustice committed against another person is an offense against the image of God, against an image bearer of God. And I think if we could ever truly grasp that idea, it would eliminate so many of the problems in our world today. Verse 28, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Notice that God created them. Who is them? I mean, who is the them being referred to here? It is male and female. So just like verse 1 in chapter 1, verse 1 was a summary statement, remember. This verse is a summary statement as well, telling us that God created both male and female. Chapter 2 is going to go into a bit more detail about this. But for now, the main takeaway is that God created male and female, and he created them both in his own image. In verse 28, um, it says to fill the earth and subdue it. Um, Relative to that, that command to subdue it, I've always read this as a command to go figure it out, conquer the earth, explore it, figure out how it works. In other words, this is kind of a call for science, for exploration, and for discovery. You know, there are some non-believers that think Christians are anti-science, but nothing can be further from the truth. I mean, in fact, there have been many Nobel Prize winners in science, physics, for example, who were Christians. And so it's simply just a gross mischaracterization to claim that Christians are anti-science or science deniers. In fact, most of the early scientists of the scientific revolution were Christians. So, for example, Isaac Newton, Kepler, Boyle, Galileo, Pascal, Maxwell, Lord Kelvin, etc., etc. All of these brilliant men were Christians, and they saw their work as learning how God had set up the laws of nature and of the universe. Verses 29 and 30 read, And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, 
and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. So after reading those two verses, 29 and 30, some people believe that in the beginning, humans were actually vegetarians, and all animals were herbivores. In other words, all creatures ate plants. There was no carnivorous activity. But is that true? I mean, did tigers and lions really only eat grass and plants? I'm going to save that discussion about the animals for when we begin discussing conditions after the fall. Because it's a matter of contention between many when we consider sin and how sin introduces death into the world. There's a pretty interesting conversation that we get into regarding the animals. But regarding humans being vegetarian, some commentators take the view that, look, these verses are only making the point that all food resources derive from plants. However, there does seem to be a good argument that humans were vegetarian to begin with. If we fast forward to, say, right after the flood, we see God telling Noah in chapter 9, verse 3 and 4, God tells Noah, Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. So we see God now giving humanity permission to eat animals. And so this addition to the earlier verses in chapter 1 seemed to be an addition to the earlier guidance of a vegetarian diet. And we'll conclude with verse 31. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. And with verse 31, we conclude chapter 1. In the next session, as we transition to chapter 2, we'll begin to see a more normal pace of working through the scriptures. I wanted to take a little extra time in chapter 1 just to make sure that we laid a good foundation for all that's going to follow. Again, thank you so much for joining me in this study through the book of Genesis. And until next episode, God bless each of you.